Hi, hi, everybody. Welcome to Red Lounder. Um, I'm Carl Mugazi. Um, we've got today Charles Wood, Thomas hey Aylert, and our guest for today is Tybus Ralph. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me on. Springboard offers the first online, self-paced software engineering bootcamp with a job guarantee. Become a software engineer or get your money back. You'll be mentored by senior software engineer or technical leader who has worked at companies like Microsoft, Intuit, and Amazon. Springboard has helped graduates increase their salary by an average $25,000 a year. Make a risk-free investment in yourself and apply now. For a limited time, use the code JABBER, unique to our podcast listeners, to get $500 off the course. That's springboard.com. So, Travis, would you mind just giving us a quick intro to yourself and what you do? Yeah, absolutely, Carl. I'm Travis Ralph. I work for a company called With You With Me. And essentially, we help retrain veterans and their spouses into technology roles and try to solve the solution. I've been in tech for almost 20 years now and relatively new to front-end design as I've finally gotten motivated to get my coding skills leveled up so I can be a little more competitive and teach my four-year-old how to code soon. Oh, awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, to give a little more background, I met Javiera from With You With Me. She lives in Australia. And so I, I guess you're the more Americanized arm of this. Travis. I am. I am. There's uh, two of us in the US and I actually just retired from the military and they, they brought me on to help out the efforts. Good deal. And I think we've had people on the, some of the other shows too from uh, uh, Vetsu Code. In fact, I know um, great Jerome program. fairly well. Yeah, great and, program. Yep. And Operation Code. One of the panelists on our Adventures in DevOps is on their board and used to be their CTO. So I think I missed something. You said with you, with me. Is yeah. that what? Yeah, Thomas, what is that? The, the company is with you, with me.com. And uh, essentially, what we do is we, we discover, train, deploy, and grow veterans and their spouses. We'll actually do it for anybody, but we give the training away for free to veterans and their spouses. The goal is we're trying to bring more technologists and developers into the career field. We're trying to do this by tackling diversity and inclusion. And we think there's a pretty missed segment with vets and their spouses out there that have a lot to offer the tech community. That's huge because like onboarding into the kind of the tech universe is such a huge pain. Just even knowing where to start is a huge problem. Yeah, that's a great point, Thomas. And that's honestly, that's how we've seen a lot of acceleration. You know, veterans and their spouses are really good at showing up and trying. And and you can do a lot with that. But like most people, you kind of need a shepherd. And you can jump on Google and you you can start trying to figure it out yourself and you're probably going to get lost and you might give up. And so what we do is we kind of shepherd that and provide a scaffolding and the training and, and growth for them to excel. Yeah. One other thing I've seen with groups like this or some of the other other types of diversity focused groups, you know, where they bring in women or they bring in uh, people of certain racial or cultural backgrounds is that they build off of what those folks have in common. And so it's, hey, we have this shared culture so we can use these common terms. You know, we've had these same kinds of experiences so we can talk about this in those terms. So when I was about 20, I went on a mission to Italy and the last seven months I was near Aviano Air Base. And so we spent a lot of time serving military Air Force uh, personnel as part of the mission. And anyway, yeah, I, I never realized how deep the subculture went until I talked to those folks and, you know, dealt with them on a week in, week out basis and realized, yeah, you know, they, they carry that American culture, but they've got all of these other things. And there's this, this culture and how they interact. And, and, you know, some of it comes from the way the military operates and some of it just comes from the way that they talk about 
the particular issues that are specific to military. And so I'm sure that gives you something to build on as you as you teach veterans how to get into tech. Yeah, 100%, Chuck. And, and hey, first off, thanks for your service too on your mission. The reality is it takes a village and every service is good regardless of what it looks like. So I appreciate you. And two, you know, you're spot on. So my view, I've spent most of my time as like a cybersecurity engineer, uh, a very mediocre one, but I've still had some success. And, and my opinion is, is technology and cyber is absolutely a team sport, especially as we, we move forward. And that's where we've seen a lot of success with bringing in veterans, especially as they transition or retire out of service. They're used to working in teams. So they do really well when we can group them in squads and push them through together and let them kind of learn and grow and, and be curious as a community and a team. That is, is absolutely fascinating. Is I, I always love uh, like transfer learning. Like they're... There are so many different segments of humanity where kind of the, the, the relative balance of skills is, is differently balanced. Like tech in general has a huge problem with organization. And I think classically the military and, and similar such organizations are exactly the opposite where they, they go hard on, on being extremely effective at scaling organization and teamwork. So I, like, what have you seen as far as like, applying those skills from military type organizations to the tech sector and yeah. what do you think that we can kind of learn from yeah that? hey thomas that's that's a great point you know one of the biggest things i learned is the organizational skills are very successful a lot of veterans make really good product managers but what a lot of us are lacking are some of the data science and programming depth because even if you do it in the military, like truth be told, we're, we're still three to five generations behind the private sector. So we've got some work to upskill, you know, to kind of be competitive on the tech end. But what I've seen really well is, you know, you use those organizational skills. And when you're looking at tech, whether it be, I don't know, maybe you're doing something in the cloud and you're, you're building uh, infrastructure's code, or you're actually trying to do a front end, look at it like a recipe. It's, it's really, it's not cosmic. It's, I mean, I grew up on a farm. I'm a redneck from Oregon. So if I can learn it, then anybody can. And, you know, you kind of look at it like a recipe. The other thing, and the, and the other reason I started using React and, and got involved with JS before that is, uh, so everybody says Python, Python, and you absolutely have to, you have to, but you want to see your product. You want to see something. And at the end of the day, you just have to get your hands dirty, you know, five, seven days a week, 30 minutes at a time. You need to read about code. And so a few things, you know, to wrap back, if you look at it like a recipe and then do something that you can see and touch, you know, build a site, build a portfolio so you can showcase. It's, I think it's going to keep you motivated and keep focused going, uh, keep folks going down the road of tech. Yeah. And that point about being able to see your product is, is quite powerful because when I learned to code, I actually used to be a journalist. So I started programming in 2016 and being able to build a project and actually see the results for me, it was powerful. So how are you finding, trying to teach people that have come from a background where they don't know how to code, they don't know JS or React, how do you kind of introduce them to the idea of, okay, here's your ID, here are the documentation for the code, here's the application, the requirements, now let's actually begin to walk through to how to build that project. Everybody's motivated differently. And at any given time, I'm, I'm talking to a span of three generations of individuals. 
And so what I've found successful is first and foremost, find out what motivates them. And this kind of goes back, I'm going to bounce back and forth a little bit here. Chuck had an amazing podcast I listened to about a month ago on, uh, I think it was called like Defining Your Life or something like that. And in that, Chuck, you touch about, about individual motivations and what drives you. And that's, that's very much different for everyone. Sometimes it's, it's a monetary commitment and that's, that's totally cool. And sometimes it's a passion and that's totally cool. But the point being is it's individual. That motivation, Carl, is individual for everyone. So I'm going to share a great example of a young man. And I'm just going to use the first name because I'm, yeah, I talk to a lot of men and women every day and I would say two in 10, listen, this person, Grant was going to school, was going to college, kind of struggling, figuring out what they wanted to do. And I said, you know, let's forget what mom and dad say, right? Because you're not going to listen to them anyways. What are, you, what are you passionate about? He says, I'm passionate about like theater and I'm passionate about art. And at the same time, he's like playing this game 100 miles an hour on his phone. And I'm like, oh, you seem like you're pretty tech savvy. He's like, oh yeah, I love tech. And I'm like, you know, it's interesting because art and science pair very well together. And when you talk about user experience, user design, you talk about gaming, you know, that pairs very well. And I said, have you ever thought about a computer science degree? And he's like, oh, you know, I was thinking about this or that. And I'm like, I'll tell you what, here's an app. And I gave him, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a shout out to Google for grasshopper.app. It's a great little app where you build a silly little grasshopper learning JS and it keeps you engaged and it's easy. And I said, finish this and then reach back out to me. A month later, Grants reaches back out. He did the app on his phone and the app online, which slightly varies. And he said, hey, what's next? I'm like, hey, here's a media site about how to learn to, to build a front-end front code in 180 days. It's free. Don't sign up for anything. Just do the free content. Let me know when you're done. Grant's killing it. And I think what I discovered with, with him is I said, look, go back to school, get an undergrad in comp sci and minor in theater, and then see how you can pull it together. So, you know, really just finding what motivates individuals, going back to what Chuck talked about in uh, defining your life. I've seen a lot of success. Awesome. So when it comes to to maybe once you've found out, okay, then this person likes to, is either maybe into art or into maybe cooking or whatever. And then you decide, okay, fine, let's begin to actually begin to get into the meat of actually programming. How do you kind of decide what steps to take and how to actually guide them towards being productive and also being able to learn new things and pick up new concepts? Yeah, 100%. So, you know, first you whet their appetite and you get them engaged and you get them doing it. And then the next thing you have to get them through a structured structured program at some level with an end game. Um, and that's kind of like what we do with you with me is, is we have a zero to hero approach. We team, we either build the content ourselves or team with other, with other really uh, good individuals or platforms that already have the content. And then we put them on a goal. So when you're learning coding, you, know, you kind of have to learn Git and you have to learn GitHub or some type of version control. And you need to build a project. And that's probably going to take, let's just say, 60 to 90 days. And then you're going to know enough to maybe not be intimidated. But then we have to go a step further. And then you have to actually start producing something. And, and what we've discovered is if we can try to get them employed, so say after maybe 90 days and you can actually pass, pass a course and do a project, get them employed. Maybe it's an internship. Maybe it's a, a lower salary employment where they're doing it and they're, they're forced to kind of struggle and grow and then uh, wrap back with continuous learning to take them to the next level. 
Because you're not going to, I mean, you can do this every day and be aggressive about it. And it's still going to take you, you know, 12, 18 months before you, you're really super, super competitive. And I think we've seen some other courses out there, like some year-long schools that have done some similar things like that. That reminds me of like SEAL training and like BUDS of like throw people into the, the deep end and sink or swim and ha- having a, an explicit and specific goal of something you're trying to achieve in reality and and some kind of external force forcing you to do something real like having a job and having to to deliver some some objective results uh, it can be so huge as far as like forcing you to grow and forcing you to focus on what actually matters because sometimes you can just get distracted by trying to boil the ocean. I'm just learn everything about tech. I'm going to learn Python and Ruby and JavaScript and everything at once. I'm PHP. (laughs) (laughs) Those are great points. Those are great points. And it's funny you actually mentioned buds and seals. So 100% keeping folks focused. And and that's one reason we've had success with looking at DNI through veterans and and their spouses, because it's kind of a community and then pairing people together. I would say the human race is very village driven. We like interaction uh, of some sort. So if we can kind of do this as a community, it absolutely works out better. And you know, going back to your statement about um, about door kickers, so I used to do that a long time ago. I wasn't a Navy SEAL. I was in the Marine Corps and did something else, but I got beat up a little bit and couldn't keep doing it. And what I found is if I devoted that same energy into you know whatever tech domain or whatever eight tech domains you're you're into or you're keen to you can actually be wildly successful because it's really just in a motivation and having an end goal and then having a support network and and not getting lost because oh my goodness I get squirreled all day and I have to keep focused. My boss is actually really good at keeping me focused so thanks Anita. And um, you said motivation and goal and what was the third thing? And a community, I think motivation and goal, and you need a community. In my opinion, you really, we, we do so much better if there's, you know, two of us or 10 of us, much, much more effective than just one person trying to achieve something. Yeah. So and when you find people maybe learning a new thing, like, like you're saying, they're, they're stuck and then they are looking for a way to kind of break through. I mean, how have you found being able to help them get over the hurdle because I remember when I was learning because I knew nothing about code there were times when I, I felt stupid and I felt like okay I don't know what I'm doing I feel like I don't belong here um I'm basically hoping that I won't get asked anything that's difficult or too hard for me to do but then I'd find that when I actually tried to do it I actually knew more than I thought and the more that I saw that happening I got more confidence in my abilities and now I'm at a stage where I can say okay fine I may not know what to do, but at least I know how to find out what to do, if that makes sense. No, 100%. And it's, it's so funny. I, I remember those days, uh, especially when I was younger, you don't learn what, you don't understand what learning is. You know, learning is beating your head against a keyboard or against a wall or whatever and struggling before that light bulb clicks. And I watched a video two years ago from like a free open source coding site as I was teaching my nephew how to code. And it talked about frustration and how to overcome that. And even as adults, we you have to get comfortable with failing. That's very much failing to grow, failing and then growing from your fail. It's very much a part of tech. That's why we have errors, right? Like an error is a good thing. It's feedback. So 
we spend a lot of time coaching people on, on how to handle errors or failures and then get past it. And one thing we focus on is, is it's actually great if you're stuck. And like a great example is right before this, I was doing a data analytics course because I'm kind of weak on some of the data analytics. I was trying to brush up. And, you know, I was struggling through some stuff. And, and as I'm struggling, I'm like, oh, I can't figure this formula out. What does it need to be, you know, less than whatever. And then I'm like, and I, I started smiling. I'm like, oh, I'm about to learn something. And sure enough, I did. And so we try to, to get ahead of that frustration. And then we try to give folks enough to, to keep them moving forward. But yet we still need them to come to the conclusion themselves. Because if you, if you just give them the fish, that they're not going to grow and they're not going to be able to feed themselves. So one thing that I think I talked about with Javiera and you know, with you on email is that React is part of the curriculum, part of the thing, stuff that you teach in with you with me. And so I'm curious, why React? Why not Vue or Angular or just vanilla JavaScript or you know, the simple basics of jQuery or... You know, something like that that might might be approachable in a different way. Yeah, no, that's also a good question. And and it's funny too, because a lot of times, especially if you focus on the public sector, everybody's like, I want Python, I want Python. Even if they want to build a front end, they're like, I want you to do it in Python. And that's great. And we're definitely teaching that and we definitely need to. But when I came on board, I started focusing and emphasizing JS and, and React for two reasons. A, I'm still novice and I, and I kind of know React as a library a little bit and it's easy to get up and running. And so I can talk to it and I can, I can explain it. Two, JS, I think you learn... It, to me, it's easier to learn some of the foundational principles of programming by using JS and then like a front-end library like React you can quickly get things up and running. Like I did, a, I did a little tech demo for an Amazon service called Amplify a few months ago. And that was honestly my first exposure to React. But what was cool was in maybe like 10 hours, like, dude, I had a silly little to-do app like, that I was out there working on. And I had a silly little blog site going. And it was really rough. It was horrible. I mean, you would all laugh at it. But you know what? I did it in like 10 hours. So being able to see that quick result kind of goes back, checked also what Carl was talking about, being able to see something and see success and then kind of reverse engineering it and growing it from there. So that's kind of why we're starting to build in JS and React as we take people from like, here's the fun, um, principles of programming, if you will, then here's the foundations of programming. Now let's start, let's, uh, let's start building upon those foundations. Yeah, totally. And and seeing the results quickly can can be such a boost for your motivation because you can finally see that it's possible. You don't have to pour six weeks into something before you can see something real. You can pour, you know, 10 minutes into it. No, you see something on the screen and then a little bit and you, you kind of get into that feedback loop of you're seeing that instant result and you know that just just a little bit tweak here will make it better and keep going from there. Yeah, 100%, Thomas. And that's a great point too on React is, is and I'm sure you can do this with Vue and Angular again. I, I just haven't played with it. I love to be able to get the quick iterative local feedback of, of is my function working? And then when I go to publish it, I know it's going to have a higher likelihood you know, to work in the wild. Yeah, so I, I, I have a question about how are you finding the students reacting to React, if you like, in terms of as a library, because obviously you've got Angular, you've got Vue, and as somebody who, like I said, um, React is my first application that I used in terms of to build many features, because initially I used one called Mithril, which is like React, but much smaller, smaller API, smaller code base. And then when I switched into my second tech job, we use React. 
So since then, I've been using React. And I just wondered, how, how do you find um, beginners approach React? And do they have any particular pitfalls they always fall into? Or are there things they like about it that are common among all of them? Yeah, so so we are just now building out that curriculum. So we have yet to stick a cohort through it. What I suspect the students, by the time they get there, this is going to be kind of almost the second course that they will have gone through. So I, my hope is that they'll look at it as like a very comfortable library that they can quickly get up and running and add some life to their site. But again, where we haven't ran a cohort through it yet, I'm going to have to get back back with you on three months to see what the feedback is. No, that's fine. And also, would you be also be maybe talking them through about the kind of basics also of like HTML and CSS and JS? Because I think I find that sometimes when people are learning a library first, they forget that actually, if you, if you were to take away the library or React and you just had HTML, CSS and JavaScript, you can still actually build a similar thing. It will take you maybe longer to do, maybe more difficult. But knowing that fundamentally, underneath all the libraries, you've got HTML, you've got JavaScript, you've got CSS, kind of powering everything through. So we very much believe in building a strong foundation. And with that foundation comes HTML and CSS. You have to. So if you're, so when, I'm, when I say JS, uh, we inherently build in HTML and CSS. And that goes back to, like, I'll go back to my personal struggles. So uh, in 2003, I finished an IT undergrad. I was actually in Salt Lake at the time. I was doing some Salt Lake. That's right. I know. I know. I I miss it. I was actually just out there three weeks ago up at Park City visiting a friend doing some snowboarding. So, but um, next time you're here, let me know. Absolutely, Chuck. So, you know, I was, I was getting into programming then, but I'd still really miss the foundations. And then over the years, I'd been in and out of, you know, some Python, C++ before that and everything. And I could do a few things. I could, I could kind of amplify some CLI scripts, but I was still failing to grasp the foundations. It wasn't until, and I even actually had a fair amount of formal training in the military, but everything was meant to kind of get you editing a tool or using a tool or amplifying a tool quicker, but you still never understood those foundations. So when I turned to uh, JS, HTML, and CSS, it clicked. Like instantly, I'm like, oh my goodness. Why, dude, why didn't I just start there? So that was something I really hit home with you with me. I'm like, look, after we do principles of programming, that we need to go this route. We have to get people to strong foundation. And in my opinion, it's just easier to grasp with HTML, CSS, and JS before you then try to tackle Python. But I'm sure a lot of people could disagree as too. Yeah, I guess it all depends on what you're trying to build. Like, especially in the like the machine learning world, it seems like Python is still kind of the, the lingua franca of all machine learning stuff. Even though you can do a lot with JS and, you know, a bunch of other languages, kind of, you, it's hard to learn it without also learning Python. Oh, 100%. And so the way we've kind of scaffolded is Python is, so we, we have a principles of programming that we send them through. And then we've got some prep courses that we use kind of in the, in between our instructor-led courses that kind of build that foundation on JS, HTML, and CSS. And then we put them through another official uh, three-month cohort of Python, 100%. And, and so, so our trifecta is kind of like C-sharp, JS, HTML, CSS, and Python. And at that point, we've built, we've built an individual that's kind of, uh, that knows enough to be dangerous and kind of gets out there and can really start getting their hands dirty and, and be useful in the workforce. 
Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me just from the standpoint of I've talked to a lot of people that really get hung up on what programming language should I learn or first or learn next. And in a lot of cases, what it really boils down to is which one is going to expose you to these concepts in a way that doesn't confuse you the most quickly. Because once you understand some of the ideas behind some of the ways that these programs are des- or programming languages are designed, what happens is, is you're going to find that a lot of it transfers to the others. And it's the same with React, right? Um, Angular and Vue both use components. They both have routing. They, you know, they share a lot of concepts, not all of the concepts, and not all of them are done the same way. But if you look at it, then you say, oh, okay, Vue has these lifecycle hooks that look a little bit like React hooks, and they do some of the same things and some different things, then you can really kind of go, okay, so I got this job doing Vue, but my knowledge in React isn't totally useless to me. Yeah, 100%. Everything's a building block. And that's that's kind of like our philosophy is we want to keep people growing. You know, you the reality is, is the minute you stop learning, you're going to be, you're probably going to be irrelevant in a year. You could snowball someone for a little while, but eventually they're going to catch on. And that's our model is we want to keep people engaged throughout their life. And then as the new, as the tech evolves, you know, let's just use cloud right now. So coding in the cloud is absolutely not difficult. You need to be able to do a little JSON or some YAML. You need to be able to do a little Python and Node.js, and you're going to be pretty darn effective, and you're going to have a pretty good career. So everything you already know, you know, we're still using the same tech and the same programming languages we've been using for 10 or 15 years, even longer in some cases. We're just uh, compiling them a little bit different. So absolutely, Chuck. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood and I just launched my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there. The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out. Yeah, especially now that even JavaScript requires a, a compile step and, and modern JavaScript looks a, a lot like C Sharp with, with async await and all um, even um, generators and stuff. It, it's, I, I like that there's a lot of kind of transfer learning. You learn one thing, it's applicable over here as well, et cetera. I'm looking at the courses on the website and you've got courses such as a pen tester, you've got a data analyst, you've got a threat hunter. So in terms of the courses that you've put together, how did you decide, okay, that these were the ones we felt that were going to maybe offer our students the best opportunities in terms of jobs or maybe ones we think that they should learn as opposed to other courses out there that you could put together? So what we do is we ultimately, we take a, a unique look at underemployment. And so we look at the labor markets, what's in high demand, what's going to get veterans jobs, and what are they naturally good at? So Things like product, project management, anything analytical, and things like threat hunting. The reality is, is that SEAL that went through budge training is a threat hunter. So we then paired to you know the predominant customer, because uh, we also want to employ veterans and their spouses. Our predominant customer is the public sector. So the public sector, part of what vets bring is, although they may be a little shy on the tech side that we're building up, they have a lot of corporate domain experience, and that's very valuable. So that's partly how we identified the path. What are the main needs within the public sector? So we also rolled out robotics process automation because that's super critical. We're rolling out project and then product management courses that we're actually um, bringing on board very shortly. I'm pretty excited about. So the way, we, the way we pair those is, you know, you don't start out as a penetration tester. You're going to start out with IT fundamentals and then you're going to go into 
like maybe like a sys administrator role so you can kind of understand the server side and the the network stack and the host stack. And then we're going to build you into a cyber defense analyst so you can kind of understand what like a SIEM or a security incident event management system looks like and then pair that with some data analytics. Then we're going to make you a threat hunter where you're understanding forensics and both host and network. And then if you're paired, and again, this is all if the algorithm pairs you based on culture fit, skill ability, and then learning style, then we're going to push you down to the penetration tester. So by the time you get there, you're actually going to be pretty wicked because you will probably also had a job employed at that level or, or at some level before that. You know, even if it's help desk or server admin, you would have been gotten your hands dirty. So then when you get to the penetration testing side and we've, we've teamed, um, I can't drop the name yet. I'm pretty excited about it. But we've teamed with the company to help out with OSCP. Um, you're going to be pretty wicked in the workforce. And more importantly, what we've noticed is people then feel valued. They're excited. You know, when you go to work and you're, you're like, man, I know what I'm doing and I feel like I'm doing something that I can add value to and people seem to, to be excited about having me here, your whole persona changes. Like the way you approach life, the way you approach work, the way you approach your colleagues. And like that is, uh, that's kind of infectious. And that's, that's kind of part of the culture we're trying to grow. It's interesting that you said that, for example, somebody who's been through BUDS that having a um, threat hunter skills, it's like it, it, a pattern I've seen a lot in reality is, is people kind of undervaluing their things that come naturally to them or things that their expertise is naturally because it's so easy for them that they focus so much on what's hard for them and then beat themselves up about not being good at the thing that's hard for them but don't give themselves credit for being good at stuff that's hard for other people. So how have you seen that kind of thing playing out in reality with people? Getting people to realize that it's okay to take a chance and, and, and getting outside your comfort zone is, is challenging. We, we oddly do... Well, I guess it makes sense if you think about it. We don't really see that with your special operators because quite honestly, they're used to being out of their skin. They're used to being very uncomfortable. And, and they're also actually pretty technically competent because the reality is, is if you have someone on the ground with a chest pack and, you know, an iPad and they're, collect, they're connected to the global information grid, they're pushing data, they're using data, their cognitive abilities, their crystallized intelligence and fluid intelligence are already very high. We just need to get them to focus, which we, you know, we've had the scaffolding for that. And then we need to show them some quick success. And then honestly, we, we usually employ those individuals back into the workforce in that public sector domain, and, and they really do rock it. In fact, one, one former Army Ranger from SOCOM, we actually brought on with, with you with me. I'm going to name drop because he's amazing. Adam Stretch, he's another, another one of our vets in the U.S. Uh, wicked smart individual busting into tech and just killing it. How do you find that the, the dynamic plays out when you have, let's say, I come to you as, as, as a veteran, right? And then I've got uh, my, my wife as well. And then and they're actually going through the, the course together. How do you find that dynamic kind of plays out and helps and results in both people actually coming out of the end of a skill set that they've gained together, as opposed to maybe I'm doing it alone and she's doing something else. And then maybe her, her, her doing it with me would probably help me or motivate me and that, that, that kind of thing. So, so the way it works, so A, to answer your root question, we see um, a very high success rate. In fact, that internal competition it typically drives people and they usually feed off each other. My wife's a great example. She's far more intelligent and more capable than I will ever be. 
So, you know, 90% of anything constructive I learned came from her and then the other 10% is good luck. But what we see is when we get, you know, partners, you know, veterans and their spouse or partners coming through together, they do very well. They may not always get get paired towards the same curriculum because when you onboard and, and it's free to sign up, it's free to test for vets and their spouses, it's free to learn, but we put them through an assessment. And again, that's a cultural assessment, a learning style and a skillability assessment. And what we believe is if you are naturally good at something, then you're going to excel at it much quicker. So therefore, we're going to invest those resources in you because we know you're naturally going to be good at it. And so a great example is myself. I spent a lot of time on the security engineering side and I wasn't that bad at it. I was okay. But what I learned when it came to the threat hunting side and the penetration testing side, I wasn't that strong despite having certifications and some exposure to it. I wasn't that good. And so that's actually one of the reasons that I ended up going to work with with you with me as opposed to another organization or two was when I did the test, I realized that I was better at building things because that was my natural personality. And, and then when I thought about it, I'm like, that makes a lot of sense. I like to build things. I like to see results. And it dates even back to my youth growing up on a farm. You built things, you did stuff. So, you know, tech is the same way. So I've always gravitated towards that. So if the, if the partners happen to be in the same path, that works out great. But even if they're not, we still see a lot of success because they're excited and they're learning together. And, you know, when you have a household or a unit, that's moving forward in a positive manner, it usually just like, it's like that infectious motivation. And they're like, oh, look what I just learned and look what I learned. And you know, it all bleeds in. It doesn't really matter if you're going towards data analytics, robotics process automation, or cyber defense analyst, all of that, you're going to have a commonality. I mean, it's data analytics, like we're talking about log aggregation, you know, and filtering and sorting 100%. So definitely feeds over for a better success rate, Carl. So here's a question I have for, for the three of you. So one thing that, that we are, that I'll be honest, that you know we struggle with when we come out of the military is uh, corporate assimilation. So we've spent you know four years, 24 years, it doesn't matter. And you're in the service, you're, you're kind of confined in a box. You know, you maybe you can't think as freely, express yourself as freely, and you're taught to problem solve effectively, but your communication can be different, especially depending on the branch of service and your career field. So when, when we go and we employ in the workforce, and let's just say we're in corporate organization A, and we have a squad of three or four people in there, and they're integrating with men and women who haven't been in service, you know, getting that assimilation right is very critical for us because we need... We want that, that tenure and that wisdom of the technology workforce that's been there to embrace you know, someone with a little less experience, but it's probably pretty motivated and is almost like a young Labrador puppy. You know, we're all excited. We're doing something new. And like, I'm a great example of this. I can't tell you how many times I've been told to like, chill, bro, like just chill. <laughs> so, so what are your guys' thoughts on that? Like, how could we work together to try to maybe bridge some of those barriers before the interpersonal issues come up? Well, I, I've put a lot of thought into this. I've seen it a lot. And my biggest, I guess, pro tip would be to, especially whenever you join a new team, a new job, a new whatever, is to to do your research. Like if there's a Slack channel or if they're in any internal groups, just spend, dedicate some some personal time to learn the 
the culture there and kind of the implicit culture. Like, what are the communication styles that are ex- acceptable and expected and, and normal? What does normal look like in this group? And it, it's almost like learning a foreign language. One thing I've seen not work well is where like somebody that like comes from Facebook and joins some other team and and tries to turn that new team into a clone of Facebook and using all Facebook terminology or all whatever. And then it just like, they're intentionally kind of rubbing the wrong way. And it just like, it's a very kind of animalistic gut rejection of like, wait, are you are you insinuating with your terminology that you are better than us? Or, but I, I've seen it work really, really well when people are like, "Well, this is who I am. This is this is where I'm from." But you know, I'm interested in in fitting in. I'm going to try my best to to be one of the team members, and especially if you can get like a one on one mentor who can kind of tell you when you've made a, a, a cultural faux pas without constantly criticizing you. <laughs> that's great advice, Thomas. Yeah, that's great advice. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've, I've definitely witnessed that myself. But absolutely, I never thought about seeking the internal comms channels first or, you know, and I guess maybe another thing is even just try to, before we're in that company, especially if it's not a defense company, maybe even just trying to have a sit down, you know, and kind of, getting like an icebreaker, maybe even something like that might might work out. Yeah, I think just to piggyback on what Thomas said, it's um in my experience, I've only worked in small companies and mainly startups. For me, it's been a case of just observing how people communicate within teams. So when you first join, you might be maybe you might not talk as much as you you you, you do normally. You just you just kind of see who's around you in terms of the characters. So, for example, things like code reviews or talking about technical problems or like uh, maybe maybe they go for lunch a lot or they don't go for lunch a lot. And you just kind of you just basically see how things kind of pan out and then you find where you fit yourself personally. So then that way, at least you can kind of observe, because I think you find that people's actions speak louder than what we say. So I could say at, at Company X, this is how we do things. But then in reality, we do something else different. So for me, I found it's more, it's more, imp- it's more powerful to actually just observe and see how the, your team members themselves interact and what seems to be okay and not okay. And that gives some kind of guidance and some hints as to what to do when it comes to you as well. I totally agree. Yeah, I 100% agree. I mean, I feel like we should all do that in life and everything better. That's a great point. I think, what was it? My mom and dad always used to say, listen twice as much as you speak. I think I listened to that advice partially. but (laughs) There are two other things that I would recommend. And one of them is very close to what Carl was talking about, where, you know, understanding the team dynamics and seeing where you fit in makes a lot of sense. But I think a lot of times we discount the fact that people are people. And so getting to know people personally as well, what they care about, why they're there, you know, what their history is, what they've done, what they're good at, you know, even beyond work, right? So, you know, when they go home, what are they going home to? What are they, you know, what are they dealing with? You know, how many kids do they have? You know, all of that stuff really just helps you understand the people you're working with. And it's it's amazing how much that'll inform the relationships that you build because I mean, the teams work off of relationships. And I say it over and over and over again, but the, the most important skill you can have beyond the basic, you can do the dang job 
is your ability to work with other people. And so a lot of that just comes down to recognizing that people are people. The second thing that I also recommend to people, especially if they're starting a new job, is go talk, go like just go sit down with your leader, whoever it is, right? Whoever is running that team, making things, you know, move forward, go sit down with them and try and understand where they're trying to lead to and how you fit into that, as well as communicate to them what you need in order to succeed. Because it makes it a whole lot easier for them to fit you in and make things work for you if you're just upfront with them on what you're looking for. You know, and, and some people feel like that's a little bit forward. But honestly, unless you're going in and asking for crazy stuff, and most of the time it's just, you know, I work better under these circumstances. You know, I tend to put my headphones on, but, you know, I do want to interact on the team. So, you know, what are you trying to create? That sets you up so that you can understand where they're coming from, but also sets them up so that they can put you where they need you and where you're going to thrive. And, and those two things will set you up in a lot of ways for uh, for success. And so it really just boils down to communication and yeah, just recognizing getting to know that these people have people stuff going on. I totally agree. And there's kind of you kind of have to thread the needle between the two extremes of of trying to fit in and play by the rules or the culture or the vibe, but still being true to yourself and and being yourself. Because people can if you go too far in any way, people can smell it and they get freaked out of like, why, why is he using all our internal lingo? He's been here for a week. It's like, he shouldn't know that already. That's weird. <laughs> but also, you know, like, why, why is he correcting me on my, like, here we say it like this and that's okay. But just like forming the, the, the direct human uh, relationships so that people know where you're coming from and know, you know, if you say it this way, they know your background so that you're just, that's just how you say it. It's fine. But also not coming across as if you're trying to change things. It's like, so threading the needle of being yourself, but also not trying to change everybody else. It's, it's tricky, but it's important. Yeah. It, it's also tricky because they come in and they have an assumed level of knowledge that you don't. And so you're also in a unique position to help them make it easier to bring other people in. And so, yeah, it's, it's how hard do you push, right, to help clarify things without being a nuisance and slowing things down. And I, I think on that as well, it's, it's something that I struggled with at the beginning was being afraid to ask questions when I don't know. Because I think that's, you, you tend to find that you, you come to a new team, right, into, into a tech team, you, you've learned how to maybe uh, code in, in Python or whatever, and you, you have a task to do and you don't know what to do. And you think, okay, if I ask my colleagues, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll appear stupid and they might think, okay, why is, why, is, why is he on this team? But it's being able to, to say, you know what, I'll rather actually ask a question, maybe I appear stupid, but at least for tomorrow, I'll know that, okay, this is how, how you fix it, as opposed to maybe being afraid to be open. Because I think once people see that as a colleague, you're somebody who's always asking questions about things you don't know, that makes you approachable. And that kind of helps as well in, in the kind of team communication as, and the team dynamic as well. One thing I'll add to that is about two and a half, three years into my career, I got hired at a company and I was probably the junior guy on the team. I was probably also the most motivated to pick stuff up, but I had a strong IT background. And so I would show up and I would ask questions and I would get 
you know, they, they would just walk me through the fundamentals. I never got treated like, I can't believe you know, don't know this, right? They would just explain it to me. But then the next day I would come in and they'd say, okay, well, we need an internal Git server and I would just set it up. And so there are always trade-offs, you know, in, in that knowledge too, where you're going to know things or be good at things that they need. And then, yeah, you may have some fundamentals you need to backfill. So that I guess that brings us back to, to Travis. You have a lot of experience with kind of people from a background that I don't have a lot of familiarity with, but like the kind of the the social media trope is that like army and navy guys don't get along of like, have you seen that to be a reality or how how have you seen people adapt their background to work well together, even if they come from different places? Yeah, you know, it's funny because I would say overtly a lot of people think there's a lot of animosity amongst sister services as we call them. And it's really just all in jest, you know, like every, every Marine friend I ever had, they're like, how did you end up joining the Air Force? You know, and so my joke is, well, I learned how to read. And so then I joined the Air Force. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the Air Force has these amazing things like air conditioning systems, you know, and like hot pockets. So it's pretty great. But, but afterwards, at the end of the day, like the one thing, service communities just want to bring together. They, they really do think it's a village mentality. And what, I've, what I think uh, they do well to assimilate. And quite honestly, in my opinion, they really don't care what service you were in. They don't care if you were in the military. They don't care if you did a mission. They don't care if you served your local uh, soup kitchen or hospital. They just cared that you served something other than yourself. And so they do really well. You know, they, they assimilate really well there. You know, that's, that's a great point. Like, like what Chuck was saying about just showing up and doing stuff. Ultimately, that that's kind of what they want to see each other succeed, and and I think those that's all great advice. Just like, hey, get in, get your hands dirty. Like, like I'll do the static testing, I'll do dynamic testing. Hey, you know what? I mean, probably shouldn't be taking program codes home on the weekend from work, but let's just say you're a remote employee. You know, you throw some extra hours in, whether someone uses it or not. I think that's great. That's a great point that you're just showing up and trying and showing that you're trying to do something. You're letting your actions speak far louder than your words. That's really true. I mean, like I said, I spent seven months around Air Force folks. And yeah, they had good-natured jokes about every other branch of the, the military. And what was, what was really interesting, though, was also, they also understood that if they ever had to go and deploy somewhere and, you know, complete some mission somewhere, especially where, you know, you needed boots on the ground and planes in the air and maybe some helicopters and stuff like that, you know, where you're pulling from multiple branches of the military, they knew that every single person involved was required for them to succeed and that it was much more important for them to get along and work together. And I never saw anything but the utmost respect for each other along with some good-natured ribbing. Yeah, I think the ribbing is, is critical. You know, when I was getting out, I was looking at for culture. It was like cultural fit was probably my number one concern. I thrive in an environment where I can, I can be me, uh, and kind of have the flexibility to do well. And I don't thrive in an environment where I'm in a box, which makes me wonder how I spent almost 24 years in the military, but I made it out. But that's the one thing we talk about that I think one of the reasons that we also started with you with me, and I wasn't one of the founders, but why my, my predecessor started it, is there is a need in tech for like that calm under fire. You know, there's like tech's always pitching errors, right? Like 
nothing crashes at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday. You know, it crashes in the middle of the night on a Saturday or incident response and everything's chaotic or heaven forbid if we, you know, if we run out of memory and no one can log in or something like that. I think that calm under pressure and just kind of jumping in, getting your hands dirty, let's just start tackling the problem is, is a kind of a soft skill that I think vets bring to the tech community that I think kind of helps build that foundation out and adds, you know, almost some soft value that maybe lends a little bit of credibility why we're building up our, our tech stack knowledge and, and trying to get up, uh, get up to pace with the, the ninjas that have been doing this for a bit longer. That's a really good point because that, that is absolutely critical. And I, I've seen some people where if, if things don't go perfectly right, they're just completely stuck and don't know how to take the next step. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, I've seen that countless times. It's almost like a paralysis by analysis. You don't know where to go. And, and you know, like that is the one thing in the service is you're taught to move forward. You're like, just don't dwell on, on what's going on. You're taught to own your failures and move forward. And, and I think that's why we see rapid success. So, you know, you're taking someone that let's just say they're in their mid 20s or it doesn't matter what their age is, but mid 20s to early 30s, typically, but they could be any, any age demographic. They, they maybe have had no exposure to like true tech. Like, like they may literally be putting Microsoft Word and Excel on their resume, you know, which that's just a given, right? Like, that's just a given. You're, you know that. It's just like Python or JS is going to be a given in a few years. But because they know how to own their failure and, and that, you know, especially as an adult learner, you learn a little quicker, that light bulb comes on faster. What we've seen is 12 to 18 months after employment, they're keeping pace really well. And then 24 to 36 months, they're kind of outrunning a lot of folks because quite honestly, they're just more aggressive at it. They go home and they develop a passion for it. And you know, they're standing up WordPress stacks on their on their own time to run blogs and they're standing up new portfolios for their friends because they just want to help out and all of that creative learning and problem solving because like none of it ever works right like the first time you launch it really does help them excel yeah we're kind of getting toward the end of our time and one thing that I want to make sure we get in here is a how people can connect with you and two I just said a and two anyway um <laughs> And two, um, you know, if, if people are military veterans, and it, it sounds like you, you work in the U.S., Canada, and Australia, if they're veterans and they want to take advantage of what you offer, how do they find that stuff? Yeah, so let's, um, we'll combine those. So A1, Chuck, would be uh, go to withyouwithme.com. Look, if you're a vet in, in North America, in the U.S., Canada, Australia, go to withyouwithme.com. But also, I don't care where you're a vet. If you fought for your flag, if you stood up and you you served, I don't care where in the world you are, go to withyouwithme.com and get on the platform and and we'll see if we can get you on if you don't if you don't meet the North America or Australia qualification. And then uh, A2, oh yeah, and with me personally, so I'm on LinkedIn, Travis Ralph on LinkedIn. I'm Wreck It uh, TR on Twitter. I'm pretty outspoken. Wreck It. <laughs> I love it. Wreck It TR, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Wreck It Ralph, a little play there. I'm pretty outspoken. You know, I'm a pretty big cloud evangelist, uh, cybersecurity evangelist, and military ambassador. So, hey, please reach out. Man, we're here for everybody. And, and I don't even care whether, like I said, whether you served in the military or not. It takes a village. And if you're all about helping people, let's figure it out, connect, and we'll see what we can do for you. 
Very cool. Have you ever felt like JavaScript is just everywhere? Well, we have. We actually had a conversation on JavaScript Jabber about what you can build with JavaScript. We've also talked about what JavaScript is and how we're inspired by the language. If you're interested in JavaScript or doing web development, then you definitely need to check out JavaScript Jabber. You can find it at javascriptjabber.com. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. This is Carl's first time on the show, let alone uh, running the show. So, Carl, why don't you just call on everyone in turn and we'll all share our picks. <laughs> sure thing. Um, so if we start with you, Thomas. Sure, absolutely. So this is actually my top pick that I don't think I've ever picked before, which is a, a tool that I use basically multiple times every day, which is the the Watchtower online library. It's uh, wol.jw.org, which is an, kind of a, a collection of online study tools that are like for doing in-depth study of the Bible. And recently on the on the podcast, I picked uh, Rome Research, which is a tool for like networked thought, where you can connect your thoughts in an interesting way and when taking notes. But when I'm thinking about it, this is actually something that we've had in a physical print Bibles as well as online Bibles, but especially the, the online library where you have everything kind of interlinked together. So if you're like studying about something that happened like in Jesus' life, it can it, you click a thing and it'll cross-reference it to where that was mentioned or uh, prophesied in the in the uh, Hebrew scriptures, and you can kind of jump back and forth and and get all kinds of extra notes of like the original language and s- compare it in different uh, translations. And there's like, I think they're up to a thousand and nine languages on there now, which is pretty epic. Anyway, that's my top pick. Okay, cool. I will go next. So I've got actually three picks, so bear with me. So the first one, which is a React pick, is there was an article published, I think last month, which has a list of libraries to learn on kind of a list of basically things in React that you can use in this year. So it covers state management, routing, styling, UI, animations, forms. So it's, it's a really good overview of what you can actually do if you're using React as your framework of choice. My second pick is to do with JavaScript itself. So I'm currently writing an article on how ES6 job queues work. And that involves kind of learning how the event loop operates and how that interacts with promises and all that good stuff. So there's a tool that's called Loop, which basically helps you visualize the event loop and how you can actually work out, okay, if I have a set timeout here and I've got this function call and I've got this other call as well, what order would I expect that to come back to me? And it helps kind of walk through that step. So I found it really useful to help me think and actually see visually that, okay, this set timeout, even though I'm calling it first in my program, actually, the callback is going to be returned at the end of the whole program itself. And lastly, I've, I've got a pick for a website that helps you teach yourself ComSci. So this is basically somebody put, put this together and it gives you a list of topics to learn. So you've got they, they cover things such as languages and compilers, databases, algorithms, etc. And it's just basically a, a good tool to use if you're like me and you didn't learn ComSci at uni and you want to kind of level up your skills and get better at that. So yeah, those are my three picks. Um, Chuck, what about you? Awesome. Yeah, um, there are a few sites like that that do kind of the the CS 
data data structures and algorithms that I really like. One of them is Interview Cake. And so I'll do a shout out for that. I'm going to put an affiliate link in. And so if you click it for Interview Cake, then, you know, it'll help pay for shows and stuff like that. So, you know, just full transparency there. But I, I really like their stuff. But yeah, if you're concerned about that, then there are definitely systems like this that Carl mentioned that that will help you out too. So yeah, go find one of those if you're finding yourself applying to a company that you know is going to ask you those kinds of things. And again, I, you know, we kind of talked about it here with Travis and that is, you know, if you know what you want, you know, you want to be at that company and you know they're going to ask you those kinds of questions, then go do the work, right? The other pick that I have I think I mentioned this last week. We just launched the Clean Coders podcast and I'm still kind of thrilling and excited about that. So I'm going to pick that. And then the last thing that I am going to pick is I've been playing a game on my phone. It's a total waste of time. And you know, sometimes I think maybe I should just quit this, but I, I'm not going to. It's called Hero Wars. And yeah, you basically just build a team of... you know, They have a set of heroes in there that you wind up pulling in and yeah anyway so it's it's fun you go and you you fight battles against other people's teams and you work through quests and stuff like that so i'm going to pick that hero wars awesome cool and travis what about you yeah so i've got two picks here the first one i'm going to do a shout out for an awesome workshop on react and aws amplify it's super easy way to get your hands dirty so it's all through that for the post and then in fact, I actually want to say that was by like kind of my first like React mentor, Gabe Hollenby. He's a technical evangelist. He kind of like helped me walk through a little bit. So I got a lot of props for him. And then the second one, I kind of mentioned earlier, grasshopper.app for new coders. It's free app. Don't don't sign up for, you know, for any of the the cohorts. They're they're kind of trying to get you to do a boot camp. Just ignore that. Do the app. You're gonna learn a lot on both of those. Awesome. So thank you again so much today, Ralph, um, Travis, sorry, for sharing your work with us. And yeah, thank you again, Chuck and Thomas, and I'm Kwame Ghazi. And we'll see you again next time on The Roundup. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.